Well, when you hear those uh, trombones play, it means it's time to recognize listeners' birthdays. And for Sunday, May 12th, Serena Giovanni is having a birthday today, and Serena lives in West Des Moines. Happy birthday. Angela Davis of Tabor, Iowa, is celebrating today. Angela, happy birthday. And Stephen Heath of Melbourne is also celebrating a birthday. So, happy birthday to Stephen, Angela, and Serena. We hope you all have a very, very happy birthday. And that's from all of us here at IRIS. Let's take a look and see if there are any uh, celebrity birthdays. And there are a few. Singer-musician Steve Winward turns 76 today. Singer-musician Billy Squire is 74. Actor Gabriel Byrne is 74. Actor Ving Rames, and that's R-H-A-M-E-S, is 65. Emilio Estevez is 62. Actor Vanessa Estelle Williams is 61. Actor Stephen Baldwin is 58. Actor Kim Reynolds is 55. Actor Rhea Seahorn is uh, Seahorn. That's S-E-E-H-O-R-N is 52. Actor comedian Jason Biggs is 46. Actor Rami Malek is 43. And finally, actor Emily Van Camp is 38. You're listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Service. If you are hearing us on your television on uh, Iowa PBS and you are not a registered IRIS user, please give us a call at 515-243-6833 so we can get you on our list. We need to know who is listening in order to keep our services free. And also, if you want to get on our birthday list, call us also at that same number, 515-243-6833, so that we can acknowledge your birthday when it comes. It's now time for obituaries. I'll get us started here. Jerry Leonard, and that's uh, Jerry Ray, J.R. Leonard of Bella Vista, Arkansas, died on Saturday, April 27th of uh, COPD, complicated by acute pneumonia. Jerry was born in 1941 in Perry, Iowa. Uh, the family lived in Jamaica and Woodward, where he went on to graduate from high school. He left the farm for early entry into the Marine Corps at age 17. He was stationed in uh, Sioux City, Kansas City, Oahu, Okinawa, and Vietnam. He served actively for 11 years and a lifelong patriot of our nation emerged. Um, let's see if we can find the uh, uh, Announcements here for his services. Uh, visitation will be held at the Bella Vista Funeral Home, 2258 Forest Hills Boulevard, Bella Vista, Arkansas, on Friday, May 10th, from uh, 4 to 7 p.m. And I guess maybe we're a little late on that. Internment will take place at Iowa Veterans Cemetery in Van Meter on June 14th, and that'll be at 9.30 a.m. 
Mary Lou Colburn, age 99, passed away peacefully, just shy of her 100th birthday, on May 7th, at her home in Andover, Kansas, with her family by her side. She was born on May 26 in uh, 1924 in Trenton, Missouri. Um, the family moved to Iowa and lived in Albion, uh, Marshalltown, and finally Des Moines, where Mary Lou graduated from East High School in 1942. She had a great many interests and loves, among them music, travel, reading, and of course her family. She had a beautiful soprano voice and lent her talents to many choirs throughout the years. She had a career in banking and loved retirement. Uh, she was the life of every party and had a generous and giving heart. Celebration of Life Services will be held on Wednesday, May 15th at 11 a.m. at Isles Westover Chapel at 6337 Hickman in Des Moines. Interment will follow immediately after at Glendale Cemetery. A public visitation will be held on Tuesday, May 14th from 5 to 8 p.m. at Westover. Memorial contributions may be directed to Phoenix Home Care and Hospice. Uh, 3450 North Rock Road, Wichita, Kansas. They may, uh, they along with the staff of Andover Court provided much care to, uh, Mary Lou and, uh, they will miss her a lot. Ronald James Rennell, that's R-I-N-E-L, uh, age 75, passed away unexpectedly at his home on Wednesday, May 1st. Jim was born in Minneapolis on September 10th of 1948. A memorial service will be held at St. Stephen Lutheran Church in Urbandale, and that's on 72nd Street on Sunday, May 19th at 4 p.m. Celebration of Life will be held at the Camp Dodge Pool House in Johnston, Iowa on Monday, May 20th, starting at 2 p.m. To all attendees, a photo ID is required for entrance at Camp Dodge. In lieu of flowers, memorials may be directed to St. Stephen Lutheran Church, to the charity of your choice in Jim's name, or to the family. A full obituary can be viewed at islescares.com. Mary Lou Lynch, age 92 of Des Moines, passed away peacefully on March 4th. Uh, Mary Lou grew up in uh, Corridan, Iowa. Uh, she loved a good party, and we will be having one for her on Christof at Christopher's on May 18th from 2 to 5 p.m. in lieu of flowers. Please donate to Iowa Public Radio or the Animal Rescue League. Mary Ann Bennett. Uh, passed away quietly at home on May 5th of 2024. She was born on November 20th of 1945 in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. Visitation will be held from 3 to 5 p.m. with a funeral beginning at 5 p.m. Friday, May 17th at Hamilton's Funeral Home on Lyon Street in Des Moines and a private family burial at Vandalia Cemetery. Marvin F. Maury, age 96, passed away Wednesday, May 8th, at his home of congestive heart failure. Memorial services will be held at 2 p.m. Monday, May 13th, at McLaren's Rest Haven Chapel in West uh, Des Moines, with a visitation from 1 p.m. until 
the time of the service burial will follow at Rest Haven Cemetery. Memorial contributions can be made to the Franklin Avenue Library. Uh, continuing on, Ilo Eveland and uh, Ilo's first name, I-L-O, last name E-V-E-L-A-N-D. She was 94 and she was from Indianola. She passed away on Wednesday, May 1st. At the village in Indianola, memorial services will be held at 11 a.m. Saturday, May 18th at Center Chapel United Methodist Church. The family will greet friends from 10 to 11 um, a.m. prior to the service. There will be a private service for the interment of cremains at Hewitt Cemetery in rural Indianola. Shirley Claire Rents White Hamilton, she was age 89, passed away on March 26 with her family by her side. Shirley was born in 1934 uh, in uh, Waterloo, Iowa, and resided in Des Moines, Tampa, New Branfels, Sun City, Georgetown, and Austin. She graduated from the University of Iowa with a Master in Social Work at the age of 50. She specialized in Alzheimer's and related disorders and worked with veterans suffering from spinal cord injuries and PTSD at Tampa's Veteran uh, Hospital. A private memorial will be held at a later date and Shirley will be interred at the Iowa Veterans Cemetery alongside her spouse, Charles Hamilton. A tribute donation to the Alzheimer's Association or a charity of your choice will be appreciated by the family. Vivian M. Wells passed away uh, peacefully on April 13th the Sunnyview Care Center in Ankeny, where she resided for uh, only 69 days. Her uh, Vivian traveled the world throughout her life. Her positive, joyful, and loving spirit will be a lasting memory by so many who loved her. Vivian was a devoted member of Windsor Heights Lutheran Church, where she treasured her many years there. A celebration of Vivian's life will be at 11 a.m. on May 16th at Windsor Heights Lutheran Church. For those unable to attend in person, a live stream will be via, be available at uh, www.whlc.org. Memorials may be given to her church, uh, Windsor Heights and or to a charity of your choosing. Her church is located at 1240 66th Street. And Verlin D. McCauley. Uh, Verlin D. McCauley, of 90, age 96, of Ankeny, passed away on May 6th. Graveside service will take place at 10.30 a.m. on Tuesday, May 14th at Ankeny Memorial Gardens, and that's on uh, North Ankeny Boulevard. Uh, uh, Verlin served in the United States Army from 53 to 54, then went to work at John Deere, where he retired in 1987. He was a member of the VFW Ankeny Historical Society of Zagazig Shrine, Mini Buggies, and Camel Patrol. In lieu of flowers, memorials may be directed to Shriners Children's. 
Terry Clark, age 76 of Adel, passed away Friday at Mercy Medical Center. A visitation will be held on Sunday, May 19, 2024, at Caldwell Parish Funeral Home in Adel, where family will greet friends from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. with prayer service beginning at 3 p.m. Uh, committal services will be at 11 a.m. on Monday, May 20th, at the Iowa Veterans Cemetery in Van Meter, with a luncheon following at the Van Meter uh, Legion. Memorial contributions may be directed to the Van Meter Legion Post 403. Condolences may be made to the family at caldwellparish.com. Frank McCullough, of age 86, uh, passed away peacefully on Sunday, May 5th, 2024. Uh, there will be a memorial visitation from 5 to 7 p.m. on Monday, May 20th uh, at Hamilton's Funeral Home at 605 Lyon Street. Private family burial will take place at Hopkins Cemetery in Bloomfield, uh, Iowa at a later date. Full obituary at hamiltonsfuneralhome.com. And the final one I have before we turn it over to Nick to continue, Jason Allen Richardson, uh, age 46, passed away peacefully at Kavanaugh House on May 6th. A memorial visitation will be from 4 to 6, 4, excuse me, 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. on Wednesday, May 15th at Isles Grandview Park Chapel at 3211 Hubble Avenue in Des Moines. Lieutenant Colonel Wesley Benjamin White. Lieutenant Colonel uh, Wesley Benjamin White passed away peacefully April 29th, 2024. He was, he was married to Jackie Harrington for 35 years, and together they raised three daughters, Rachel, Megan, and Elizabeth. West was born January 30th, 1964 in Des Moines to David White and Linda Supley. He graduated from East High in 1982 and continued his education at Iowa State University, where he was a member at Iowa, or of Alpha Sigma Phi fraternity and received his commission as a second lieutenant in the U.S. Army, active duty. He later went on to receive his master's degree at Illinois State University. West began his military career in August 1987 at, at Fort Moore, Georgia, FKA as Fort Benning, and proudly served with honor and distinction as an infantry officer. His service sent him around the world training and developing young soldiers and future officers. He was assigned to the 3rd 3 to 36 infantry regiment later to 5 to 5 cavalry where he completed Bradley commander courses while stationed in West Germany he was guarded the Fulpa gap as part of the 3rd armored division he also witnessed and participated in the de demolition of the Berlin Wall West deployed to Iraq for Operation Desert Shield and Operation Desert Storm. West was an instructor at the Infantry Officer Base School at Fort Moore, served as a command, company commander at Fort Campbell, uh, KY 101, 101st Air Assault Division, deployed to Fort Randolph in Panama, and taught ROTC at Illinois State University. 
He finished his career at the Pen Pentagon, serving in the Operations Training Division G3, reorganizing division structures, developing striker brigades, and as a force development directorate executive office. Um, Wes enjoyed hosting friends for parties in his home by setting up yard games, grilling, playing Frank Sinatra, and making sure his lights were dimmed at the perfect setting for his guest. He managed an ever-growing list of at-home DIY projects and was always eager to check the next one off his list. He often quoted from his favorite movies such as It's a Wonderful Life, Casablanca, and Patton. He loved inviting guests into his library to discuss world events and share his excitement for the classics. He, um, visitation will begin at 10.30 a.m., followed by funeral service at 12.30 on Wednesday, May 22, 2024, at Hamilton's Funeral Home, East 605 Leon Street, Des Moines, Burial will follow at 2 p.m. at the Iowa Veterans Cemetery Van Meter. Memorials may be given in honor to the Wounded Warrior Project. Richard Jean Santee Richard Jean Santee was born on July 12, 1944 in Ames, Iowa to John and Catherine Santee. After spending the day engaged in his beloved pastimes of golf and yard work, Richard departed this world at the age of 79 on Wednesday, April 24, 2024. Richard's journey through life was one of dedication and triumph. And triumph. He distinguished himself early on, graduating as salutationary. Salutationorian from Madrid High School in 1962. Richard pursued his education at Iowa State University, graduating with high distinction in 1966. Although he initially planned to study elect electrical engineering, his academic journey took a different turn, leading him to the University of Iowa where he earned his law degree in 1969. In 1965, Richard married his the, law, the love of his life, Carolyn Ackerlund of Madrid, embarking on a lifelong partnership in which they shared 59 years of marriage. Richard's professional journey flourished in the realm of law, starting in 1969 as a law clerk for federal district court judge William Hansen in 1960. Uh, in Fort Dodge. After settling in Des Moines with Carolyn in 1971, he became a respected member of the Aethler's Law Firm in 1974, dedicating his talents and expertise to his clients until his well-deserved retirement. Beyond his professional endeavors, Richard cherished his roles as husband, father, and grandfather. In 1979, he and Carolyn made a home on the Dallas County acreage with their children, Troy and Michelle, instilling in them the values of hard work, especially mowing, laughter, empathy, thriftiness, and golf. Richard was an avid golfer, loved being outdoors, maintaining his acreage, 
pond and personal three-hole golf course. He was a ferocious leader and enjoyed playing card games with friends and family. Richard and Carolyn were avid travelers that visited most of the United States over the 24 international trips and wintered in Palm Desert, California and Queen Creek, Arizona. Celebration of Life will be held on Thursday, June 6, 2024 at Valley United Methodist Church in West Des Moines, Iowa at 11 a.m. Followed by a reception visitation will be at the church on Wednesday, June 5, 2024 from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Richard Jean Santi will be re remembered not only for his professional achievements, but also for the love, kindness, and integrity that defined his character. While his physical presence may be gone, his spirit will continue to guide and inspire all the, all who were privileged to know him. In lieu of flowers, donations may be directed to Valley United Methodist Church of West Des Moines. Thank you, Nick. I'll now read a story from USA Today. The headline reads, Testimony May Sway Jury in the Trump Trial. Two potential witnesses could add to credibility. Jurors might not know who to believe in former President Donald Trump's hush money trial, but there are at least two people who might be called as witnesses who could sway them. During her testimony last week, porn star Stormy Daniels recounted how a sexual encounter in 2006 led to her $130,000 hush money payment from Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen, before the 2016 presidential election. Trump is charged with falsifying business records to cover up that payment. But Trump denies that the two ever had sex, tweeting in May 2018 that the financial agreement was used to stop the false and extortionist accusations made by her about an affair. One person who may shed some light on the subject is Trump's longtime and ubiquitous bodyguard, Keith Schiller. Daniels has claimed in testimony that the former New York City cop approached her at a golf charity event on Lake Tahoe right after she met Trump in the gift room where celebrities would come through. She testified that Schiller said Trump wanted to have dinner with her, and he allegedly helped facilitate her visit to Trump's hotel suite, where she said the two had sexual relations. As proof, Daniels also testified she gave Schiller her cell phone number. He texted her, and she, was, and she has saved it in her address book all this time under Keith Trump. The other is Alana Evans, a retired porn actress and friend of Daniels, who says she ran into Daniels in Lake Tahoe and that Daniels invited her to join her and Trump for dinner at his lavish hotel suite. In the first-person tell-all article in Rolling Stone last year, Evans said Daniels emailed, texted, and ultimately called her from Trump's suite asking her to come over and join them.
Trump himself even interjected, she wrote, and said into the phone, Oh, come on, Alana, let's have some fun. Let's have some fun. Come to the party. We're waiting for you. Whether the prosecution plans to call Schiller or Evans as a witness is not known, mostly because Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg and his team have not publicly shared the witness list. But veteran defense attorney Gene Rossi and Trump's defense team made a critical strategic error last week by placing so much importance on denying that the alleged tryst ever happened, thus making it a test of Daniel's credibility and Trump's as well in the eyes of the jury. You made all this up, right? Trump lawyer Susan Nichols asked Daniels during one particularly combative exchange on Thursday. No, Daniels responded forcefully. Overall, Nichols spent several hours uh, broadly attempting to portray Daniels as a liar who fabricated the story to make money. But under direct examination from prosecutors, Daniels provided a wealth of detail about the alleged event. That included descriptions of the hotel suite, about Trump's greeting her at the front door in silky pajamas, and the golden tweezers she found in his bathroom. At one point, Daniels testified that while she did not feel physically threatened by being in a hotel suite with Trump in his underwear, I did note there was a bodyguard right outside the door. Rossi, a former Justice Department official who has taken dozens of cases to trial, said such details will be very powerful for a jury as it assesses the overall credibility of Trump, Daniels, and uh, the defense lawyers and prosecutors. There's no way in my mind that the jury is not going to believe all that detail or that she made up the rolled up magazine, that she hit him in the behind with and his entreaties to get her into the room, Rossi said. The jury was also shown a photo of Trump's uh, with Daniels. If subpoenaed and compelled to testify, Schiller could clear up some of the discrepancies between Trump's and Daniels' account, Rossi said, noting that he would be speaking under threat of prosecution for perjury. They would just ask him, did you ask, did you ask, escort Miss Daniels to the hotel room? Did you give Miss Daniels your cell phone number? Have you done this in other cases? Is there something you normally do for Mr. Trump? Rossi said he would provide a lot of things. Spokespersons for the Manhattan's DA office had no immediate comment on whether they planned to call either Schiller or Evans to the stand or anyone else who might shed light on which of the two contradictory stories to believe. The DA's office has been tight-lipped about potential witnesses refusing even to share the names with Trump's lawyers because they fear Trump will attack them publicly, as he already has done to Daniels and Cohen. Court documents show that the DA's office did issue a subpoena for Schiller's communications and that Trump defense lawyers rejected the demand for all emails between Schiller and Trump's longtime executive assistant, uh, Rana Graff, and other communications as being too broad. The records did not specify what prosecutors were seeking. Schiller could not be reached for comment, and a law firm for the Trump Organization that has represented Schiller in the past, uh, that's uh, Schertler, Honorator, Mead, and Sears, had no initial comment. Trump spokesman Stephen Sheng, that's C. 
Shung, C-H-E-U-N-G, did not respond to calls and emails seeking comment about Evans' claims. Evans did not return calls and messages to the Adult Performance Artist Guild, which lists her as its president. Well, for the last 90 minutes, your readers have been Nick Herter and I'm Dave Stutz. It's been our pleasure to read for you. Now we'll take a short break to allow our next readers to get into place.
Welcome back. Your new readers are Mark Morrison and Bobby Bailey. We'll continue with articles from the Des Moines Register and USA Today. And here's Bobby Baby <laughs> Bailey with the opinion section. I go by whatever name fits every Sunday morning, Mark. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, it's Sunday, so we've got a lot of space and opinion things to share with you. So I'll start off with the opinion page today, and it is the Register's official opinion, and the headline is, Nudges for Open Government Useless If Iowa Leaders Keep Embracing Secrecy. And here we go. Again, this is uh, Lu Lucas Grunmeyer writes these on behalf of the Register. The leaders of Iowa's legislative and judicial branches have sent clear messages this year about the importance of the state's transparency in government laws. Will elected officials and other public employees hear them? The legislature multiplied most civil fines for violations of open meetings laws by five, and the Iowa Supreme Court reiterated its precedent that egregious delays violate the right to access public records. Yet, for pragmatic purposes, the law and its penalties have always been just a part of the picture. In many cases, a cynical official can win a gamble that violations won't be noticed or that no person or group will incur the time and expense necessary to litigate over a closed meeting or a denied records request. In other words, while higher fines and unambiguous court rulings ought to deter improper secrecy somewhat, what is really needed is for public officials to view enabling public access as part of their job. The presumption of openness to an excuse me, the presumption of openness is an explicit part of the law. Too often candidates tout transparency on the campaign trail, then seemingly get bitten by a secrecy bug upon taking office. They might judge that they would get away with it, or that the worst consequence of being found out will be a scolding newspaper editorial. But when voters elect a candidate, it's not an invitation to start making decisions and, maybe, tell us about them later. The election is just the beginning of public involvement in deliberation of policy, both through public meetings and access to emails, text messages, and other documents. Elected officials should adopt this simple principle, when in doubt, stay in the sunshine. A slew of recent examples show how this has not been the, state, the standard in state and local government. The Davenport City Council's outrageous and clumsy attempt to quiet, appro quietly approve settlement payments to former employees is what prompted legislators to amend the meetings law. The secrecy meant that payoffs didn't become public knowledge until after a city election. Worse, leaders have dug in their heels even after being made an example of. The mayor ordered members of the public to leave a council meeting last month, and the city's lawyers continued their court fight against release of records on the settlements. The Iowa Supreme Court ruled in April that numerous emails between journalists and State Auditor Rob Sand's office should be subject to disclosure, and that Sand couldn't get himself off the hook for penalties for withholding emails for months simply by producing them under threat of litigation. 
The ruling is important for underscoring that slowness in answering open records requests amounts to refusing to answer and for dispelling the notion that the confidentiality inherent to audits supersedes the open records law requirements for producing routine communications. In Des, Moines city, in Des Moines, city staff revamped sample agreement forms for developers after a series of city council meetings that didn't trigger openness <coughs> requirements because too few council members attended. According to calendars obtained by the Register's Virginia Bereda, Des Moines is not the innovator of this tactic, but it is always disappointing. It's obvious that the only reason two meetings were held instead of one with all or most council members present was to avoid public scrutiny of the deliberations. Attorney General Brenna Byrd's staff told a register reporter that it held off answering her records request about an audit of contraception and abortion reimbursements for crime victims because a more complete answer might be finished soon. Even assuming for the sake of argument that this was an attempt to be helpful, records custodians should not take it upon themselves to modify a request in a way that produces weeks of delays. And an Iowa judge has ordered the Des Moines Police Department to turn over to civil rights lawyers hundreds of useful use-of-force reports, a welcome interruption to the pattern of privacy carrying the day when it comes to records about law enforcement conduct. None of this is to say that there are no justifications for privacy or close calls when it comes to confidentiality. But in each of these cases, an attitude where transparency is the default outcome would have produced different results, and, in this editorial board's judgment, a better outcome for the public. Iowa's open meetings and open records laws aren't obstacles for public officials to work around. They are powerful tools to enable the people's participation in how we are governed. We'd love to see more elected Iowans get get more elected Iowans act accordingly. Back to you, Mark. Thank you, Bobby. I'm going to do the letters to the editor. Uh, first one by John Mallet of Des Moines. Yes, Judeo-Christian principles are under attack. In her April 21st column, Christianity is not under attack, but Kim Reynolds governs like it is. Rekabasu lets the anti-Christian bias pour out. The column contains paragraph after paragraph of misinformation, hypocrisy, and contradictions. For starters, Basu criticizes the voucher system because she does not understand Christians are a part of the public entitled to all public rights and privileges. Nor does she understand it's not just about money. It does, does it occur to Basu money or not? Some people do not trust government schools. They do not accept the progressive LGBTQ plus CRT and DEI concepts in the government schools and do not accept curriculum that denies science, defies logic, bastardizes the English language, and promotes a singular anti-Christian moral lifestyle. Not knowing the differences between refugees and immigrants, Basu confuses Governor Robert Ray's legal welcome of more than 2,600 Thai 
Dom people who were Vietnam War refugees with President Joe Biden ignoring U.S. immigration laws and allowing immigrants from all over the world to enter the country illegally. Basu refers to Rob Reiner's contention that Christians believe, quote, America was founded as a Christian nation that is now under attack, but most Christians believe America was founded on Judeo-Christian principles and that those principles are under attack. Basu thinks the constitutional separation of church and state should prevent public money going to private schools and ensure abortion rights. The words separation of church and state are not mentioned in the U.S. Constitution, but the, but the words right to life are. Ironically, after column attacking Christians, Basu chastises Donald Trump for his exhortation, Christianity is under tremendous siege. Christians don't use their power. You have the strongest lobby ever, but I don't hear about a Christian lobby. Uh, Next uh, letter written by Eric Reisenberg of Des Moines. No free lunches. I agree with the Register Editorial Board's criticism of corporate welfare and am constantly surprised at the willingness of normal, hardworking people to defend corporate cronyism because of the native belief or naive belief that billionaires create jobs. In reality, projected consumer demand is the only reason nearly all jobs are created. Spending by poor people creates many jobs and much profit, and as a main reason, the super-rich often support expanded social welfare spending. Every job a middle-class family has to spend to subsidize someone else, whether a billionaire or the generational poor, makes it harder for that middle-class family to care for itself. Next letter, written by Joe and Cindy Coppola of Urbandale. Hivey sits on what was private property taken by the city via eminent domain to create an entertainment venue to enhance the district. Hivey could have gone almost anywhere in downtown Des Moines, but chose to go in the entertainment district. Hivey also chose to undermine the existing restaurants critical to the district with many dining options by featuring a large selection of alcohol-sold brown bag. Now Hy-Vee says workers don't feel safe and want to renege on the agreement for which they continue to receive millions. It seems the taxpayer of Des Moines are shortchanged again while Hy-Vee continues to reap the many benefits of the original agreement. <clears throat> Next letter, written by John Moore of Newton, either Biden or Trump will win, so hold your nose and vote for Biden. Guest columnist Walter Souza needs to wake up to the fact that there are only two choices this fall when it comes to who will be our next president. He may not be in love with either choice, but to say he can't vote for Joe Biden 
even after he explains how devastating a second Donald Trump term would be, is admitting he is giving up. Daniel Ankeny of Adel writes the next letter. Vape regulations are much needed. As the Iowa legislative session came to an end recently, I wanted to call attention to an important bill that will keep young Iowans safe. House File 2677 is designed to prohibit already illegal vapor products and permit only those sanctioned by the Food and Drug Administration. Currently, illicit non-FDA authorized candy and fruity flavored disposable vapes are directly marketed to Iowa children, hooking them on products that could carry a lifetime of negative health consequences. My hairdresser told me her son is addicted. She has been beside herself and in search of solutions. I am pleased to tell her that the Iowa legislature has listened to the cries of so many in similar situations by passing the bill. These dangerous products have no place in the United States and certainly no place in Iowa. Thank you to those in the Iowa legislature who voted in support of this bill. Thank you to Representative Brent Segrist and Senator Chris Cornoyer for bringing this bill forward, and thank you to Senator Jack Whitaker for ensuring the bill will receive the hearing it deserved at the end of session. I now urge Governor Kim Reynolds to sign this bill to ensure that we are keeping Iowans children healthy. Diane <clears throat> Duncan Goldsmith of Iowa City wrote the next one, The Buck Stops Here. During my career as director of a school nutrition program, I was responsible for following federal guidelines in order to receive millions of dollars in federal reimbursement and for producting production kitchens and serving sites which always need to be in compliance with safe food preparation and service regulations and guidelines. I do not believe I could have ever used the excuse by Iowa Health Human Services Director Kelly Garcia when she indicated she was surprised to learn of a compliance issue, in quotes, within her department regarding violence of the or violation of the National Voter Registration Act. The violation regulates or relates to voter registration availability for those applying for Medicaid. Personally, being surprised, my department was out of compliance with any regard to any regulations would have never have been acceptable excuse. Although Garcia was made aware of the problem in January, it may be August before a solution is found. An easy solution would simply be including a voter registration form, simple instruction sheet, and an envelope correctly addressed when application and renewal mailers are sent. Adding more reasons why an immediate fix is not possible until late summer is just an empty excuse to delay compliance. 
The next letter is written by Carl Homstad of Decorah. Take back our country from rule by elites for, for elites. The 1% rule this country. They own the media, many politicians, and now the Supreme Court. They have hollowed out public education, nearly destroyed unions, gerrymandered most of the country. Meanwhile, they use their media empire to distract us with useless polling, culture war nonsense, racism, and xenophobia. There are many thousands of good people working hard to get our government back, but the oligarchy has used its power to make that nonsense possible. Uh, politicians can stop any progress. They only have to play defense and they can afford it. This is not a partisan issue, and it isn't about philosophy. It's money. The 1% isn't loyal to anything but their own wealth and power. Before the Supreme Court Citizens United ruling, our government mostly worked. Dark money means we have no way to know who is paying to influence our vote. We know that China and Russia and others are actively trying to exert influence. It doesn't have to be like this. We must work on getting big dark money out of politics for the benefits of all and the sake of our country. If we don't, the cruel farce that many now perceive our government to be will become a permanent reality. Next letter by Tim Urban of Des Moines. Protesters seem unconcerned by other travesties. Pro-Palestinian protests are flooding the country. Their cause is righteous with the massive killing and displacement of Gazans by Israeli forces. But where, where, the, where were they while Russia has been raping, killing, and displacing many thousands of Ukrainians not to mention mention the juntas, generals, and militias in Myanmar, Sudan, Ethiopia, and so many other places. Is the protest against the treatment of Palestinians in Israel, or is it occupied territories by Israel often compared to our apartheid in South Africa? If so, why didn't they protest with the thousands of Israelis who protested against the corruption of Netanyahu? It looks like anti-Semitism, like racism, is a festering sore in our culture stroked or stoked by provocateurs. The last letter is written by Stephen Voice of Iowa City. University of Iowa must divest. To what extent has the University of Iowa participated in Israel's war in Gaza? My open records request for its present fiscal year investment portfolio has so far gone unanswered. But a recent year's portfolio includes the following weapons manufacturers. 
Lockheed Martin, General Atomics, Northrop Grenman, Orbital, ATK, Monsanto, Israel Chemicals, Hanwa Corp., and Raytheon. This is just a short list. The companies make a weaponized drones, customer or cluster bombs, depleted uranium munitions, and white phosphorus. Some of these materials are banned by more than 120 countries on Earth. As the U.S. mainstream media focuses its attention on campus protests at Columbia, NYU, UCLA, and other elite campuses, the IDF has devastated institutions of higher education in Gaza. All 12 universities in Palestine have been destroyed. At least three presidents and over 100 faculty have been killed in the attack. This includes the poet Rafat Alirir, whose poem, quote, I Must Die, appeared in print just before his death. Poem speaker imagines a Palestinian child looking up at heaven who uh, sees the kite, my knife you made, flying up above and thinks of, for a moment, an angel is there, bringing back love. If I must die, let it bring hope, let it be a tale. An airstrike killed his eldest daughter and grandson. The University of Iowa's stated mission, vision, and core values include integrity, defined as the highest standard of professional and scholarly ethics. This means being accountable for our decisions and actions and treating one another with honesty and fairness, the mission statement declares. As a member of this community who wishes to uphold these values, the only ethical course of action is for the University of Iowa to divest from a weapons industry that has so far profited from the deaths of more than 35,000 Palestinians. Well, now let's switch over to Dear Abby. I'm sure we'll be back to the opinion section. All right. So... The title is, Woman's Choice of Partner is About to End Inheritance. Dear Abby, I'm a 67-year-old father to a wonderful daughter. She has decided to stay with her boyfriend, who recently got out of jail for stealing 200000 from his grandparents. Because of this, I do not want to leave her a large sum of money when I pass. As of now, she would inherit it. My problem is, how do I tell her I am removing her from my will? If I tell her, I'm scared she will hate me and end our relationship. But if I don't tell her now, she'll be so disappointed when that time comes. Her boyfriend has already stolen $200 from her checking account since his release from jail. He has a gambling problem, but continues to deny it. 
I cannot take the chance that he wouldn't steal from her on a much bigger scale. She stands to inherit more than $400,000. How do I tell her? I know I can set her up, set up a trust for her, but telling her my decision is, a diff, is the difficult problem. Signing, planning ahead in Florida. And Abby says, Dear planning, you didn't say that you were in, in, in ill health. You could live another 15 or 20 years. And if you do, your daughter could have wised up and chosen a more suitable partner by then. I do think your idea of creating a trust for her is a good one. However, I see no reason why you should discuss that plan with her now. If you feel the need to explain, do it in a letter to be given to her at the time of your demise. Dear readers, I wish Happy Mother's Day to mothers everywhere. This is coming from myself and from dear Abby and Bobby. Uh, adoptive and foster mothers, stepmothers, grandmothers who are raising their grandchildren, as well as dual role dads, orchids to all of you for the love you give not only today, but each and every day. Here's a reminder that you are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. You can listen to podcasts of this and many other IRIS programs at iowaradioreading.org. It's time for a quick break and we'll return with more articles from the Des Moines Register. I'm Mark Morrison and my partner at the microphone has been Bobby Bailey. Earlier you heard... Dave Stutz, and Nick Herter. You can listen to Iris programs in any computer or smart device at any time at iowaradioreading.org. Support for today's readings comes from the Des Moines Register, Iowa Public Radio, Iowa PBS, and bensoundmusic.com. Thank you for listening to Iris. I was first and only radio reading service. And once again, happy Mother's Day to all. And we'll be right back. 